Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Hello, everyone, and a very happy Easter season to you all, wherever you're listening to this, whenever you're listening to this. Um, isn't it good to celebrate resurrection? You'll have to bear with this recording um, as I'm sitting down to kind of go back through my message from this past Sunday. Of course, it's the very day that uh, the power company decides to come to our neighborhood and uh, cut back all the branches that are kind of getting in the way of our power lines, which is ultimately good work, but that means that there may be some um, odd noises in the background, but that's okay. We continue with the work of the kingdom. One of the things that has really struck me recently, um, especially in this conversation about what is true and what is not true, and especially, and especially, especially when it comes to the story of Jesus, is to, is to wonder what does all of this actually mean? And as I, I was sitting, kind of waiting for the Lord to you know, offer me an angle to that Easter Sunday message, which can be so intimidating for a pastor because it often feels like it's the one big chance that we have to say everything and get it all in there and have just the right amount of hype and just the right amount of jokes and so on and so forth um, that you can kind of do your head in just trying to figure out the angle. As I was uh, just sitting and meditating on the resurrection story, this was the question that I kept coming back to. What does the resurrection actually mean? It's a good and valuable conversation to have about, did it actually happen? But I think ultimately where I've come to with that is that I believe in the bodily resurrection of King Jesus as an historical fact, but that's something that I have to take by faith. Um, But it's also not enough just to believe that it is something that happened once upon a time, um, but to believe that it is true because it continues to be true. And that's kind of the angle that I want to take today. Because I believe that resurrection means that we follow King Jesus into becoming new creation. And the story that we're going to be looking at today centers around the empty tomb. That's actually maybe the the central character, if you will, of today's message Um, Jesus will appear in this story, of course, but um, we're going to be looking at three of the primary characters who encounter the empty tomb, and and we're going to wonder, what is it that they might speak to us about the meaning of resurrection? So I believe that sitting at the empty tomb, contemplating the empty tomb, pivots us towards faithful action, a renewal of our minds, and an enlarged capacity to love and to be loved. And this fits so beautifully with the theme that we have for this year, from the throne flows a river of renewal. We've been talking about that word renewal a lot, and it sits so beautifully alongside the word resurrection, although they have slightly different meanings. Um, They're almost different angles of speaking to this same thing that happens in us, that also happens through us. So we're going to be looking today um, at the Gospel of John, which we've, we've come to many times to understand as the contemplative's gospel, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, tell the story of Jesus almost in a way that um, the radical conclusion is that Jesus is God incarnate. But John, you know, he begins us in, in this different position 
where that's the, that's the lens through which we read the way in which he's trying to teach us the story. And I believe that John's gospel is contemplative in the way he tells the stories, um, invite us in in a very particular way to contemplate how we might be experiencing these moments in Jesus's life. So I'm going to pray and we're going to jump right in. The first portion that we're going to read is John 21 through 9. So Heavenly Father, we testify that you're here and that you're with us wherever here uh, might be for us as we're listening to this. Um, and we believe, God, that you um, turn curses into blessings, that you bring us from death into life, that you set us free from sin, but you also set us free to be truly human in the pattern that we see in your Son, Jesus Christ. So God, I pray as we're on this journey today that you would open us up um, to allow this story to wash over us, to inform us of where we might be in this journey towards the empty tomb and that we uh, might walk away with a radical new revelation of who Jesus is, not just historically, but in our moment in history. So may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and all the other and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. I love the way that John chooses to tell this story. Early on the first day of the week. And this is a symbol for us. The way John tells uh, the Passion narrative is that it takes a week from Palm Sunday um, until uh, the crucifixion of Jesus and that Holy Saturday where we kind of sit in this uncomfortable in-between of the, the, the death of Good Friday uh, and the resurrection of Easter Sunday. And he's very particular in the way that he's choosing his words here because what he, he means is symbolic. It's this pattern that we see throughout his gospel and that we see um, in the way that we speak about the coming kingdom. That the first day of the week is a symbol of new creation. This is a new week. Something new has begun in this moment. And so in the story, um, we see the two disciples, Peter and John, um, hearing about the empty tomb and running there to see what happens. And the ancient tradition tells us that Peter, for us, represents um, the place of faith or action 
or even instinct. And if you know the story of Peter, you, you would recognize that it always feels like he's a step ahead or a step behind Jesus. He's so motivated by his instinct, by his gut uh, to dive in. He's always so concerned about doing the right thing and saying the right thing and being in the right place. And, you know, um, on Holy Saturday, we spent 11 hours reading through the Gospel of Matthew. And um, several people who attended commented on uh, just this impulsive nature of Peter, um, that he always seemed to be in the right spot and then almost immediately in the wrong spot. The best example being when Jesus asks his disciples, like, who, who do others say that I am? And then who do you say? And Peter answers correctly. And Jesus says, um, today you will be given the keys to the gates of heaven. And then it seems like five minutes later um, in the story when Jesus is talking about his necessary death, Peter jumps in and says, no, we will never let that happen to you. And of course, Jesus turns to him and says, get behind me, Satan. And how many of us uh, were like that because of our impulsive natures? In one moment, we feel like we're given the keys to heaven. In the next moment, we're, we're, we are participating in the, the lies of the accuser. But I love how patient Jesus is throughout his whole story. So if Peter represents kind of that action-oriented part of ourselves, then John actually represents um, the place of knowledge or the mind, uh, uh, the invitation to become contemplative. And as I said, even the way that John begins his gospel in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We find um, an approach to the person of Jesus in John that is um, that is intimate, that is uh, calculating, that is a purified mind. And of course, one of my favorite images of John is at the Last Supper when he is the disciple who inclines his head upon the bosom of Jesus to hear the heartbeat of God. And I, I love that, that, that John was the one, I, even especially the way that John speaks of himself in his own gospel, the one whom Jesus loved. And I don't think this is John being braggadocious or trying to prove a point that he is superior to Peter, but rather I think it's a, a beautiful space of um, intimacy and humility that John does not define himself by what he does. He doesn't define himself by his accomplishments, but rather he defines himself by the being the beloved of Christ. And so the invitation of his whole gospel is for us to take that upon ourselves as our true identity. And so in these two disciples rushing to the empty tomb, almost standing on the brink in anticipation of what's about to happen next, we recognize that being new creation people means a resurrection of both our minds and our faithful action. Because you see, Peter as the stand-in for action, intuition, um, our, our gut intelligence, he's so often swayed by fear. In the one moment, he's standing up so boldly to proclaim that he will never abandon Jesus. But as uh, the temperature rises in Jerusalem, as he begins to, to watch Jesus taken away by the soldiers and beaten and flogged and accused, he starts to shrink away and he denies Jesus three times. Because for Peter, out of that place of instinct, fear and self-preservation begins to take over. And those bold claims of faith that he had made in one moment begin to dissipate as he shrinks away from Jesus in order to protect himself, in order to keep himself 
hidden. And I've mentioned before, one of the most profound things that I realize about the journeys of the disciples is that the only real difference between Peter and Judas is that Peter stuck around long enough for forgiveness and redemption. And then John, as our contemplative mind, is the disciple who quietly takes it all in. John doesn't straight up abandon uh, Jesus or deny Jesus in the way that Peter does, but you can get this sense that he's just watching and observing. There's this one sweet little moment at the foot of the cross where God is experiencing the loss of God, but still has uh, that eye of compassion to look upon John and his own mother, Mary. And he says, woman, behold your son, and son, behold your mother. And so we, ha- we have this image of John contemplating the cross, uh, the human God on display in front of the world, all the powers and principalities doing their worst. And I think that what we see here when we begin to read this story symbolically is that both disciples run to the empty tomb, one representing our mind and one representing our actions. But what they're doing is that they're running into the mystery of the resurrection. Something has changed. And I do love that here we first see that John is the first to arrive at the empty tomb. I do think that our, it's, it's that purification or that renewal of our minds that brings us closest to the edge of being able to step over into faith. But John stops right at the entrance to the empty tomb in order to take it all in. And it's our sweet, blessed Peter the pattern of that faithful action who rushes into the tomb. And you can imagine that Peter cared so much. He was so desperate for that resurrection, for that renewal, for that redemption that would come through the possibility that Jesus is alive that leads him to go into the tomb first. But there's a third person in this story that invites us to see another angle of what it means for us to be these new creation people. So the story continues, John 20 in verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I do not know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God, and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. 
one of the upside down kind of countercultural transformations that we see that is evidence of this new way of being in the world is that the disciples have to choose to take the testimony of a woman. In the first century, um, especially in Judaism, uh, the testimony of women was inadmissible um, as as being a, a credible storyline. And sometimes today I feel like this can easily be taken for granted as such a radical shift in uh, in what we see it means to be new creation people. Um, although, you know, obviously with the Me Too movement in the past several years, there's still recognition that we have many uh, gains to still make when it comes to trusting women. But this would have been a total paradigm shift uh, for the first followers of Jesus. It would run contrary to their cultural expectations and assumptions about whose word is valuable and whose isn't. And it's even funny that in Luke, um, he even puts a bit more of a pin on it. He says in Luke 24, 11, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. And I think the way that Luke is telling it as well is to show that the disciples are still being stretched and opened up to what this new world, this kingdom of God that has burst forth on the scene is going to actually look like for them. And so Mary Magdalene uh, becomes this model of the loving heart for us. Um, If Peter represents action and instinct, if John represents the contemplative mind, then Mary represents the tender heart. And it's, a, it's, it's rather wonderful to recognize that one of the translations of the name Mary or Miriam may actually be beloved. And so when Jesus calls to her and says, Mary, he calls her by her name. What he is saying is, my beloved. And the profundity of the, the Mary Magdalene element to the empty tomb is that she's the first to actually be there. She's the first, like she's having the hardest time letting go of Jesus. And so she's the first one at the tomb. And she gives herself permission to feel deeply that loss of Jesus, but she refuses to leave. And I think what this teaches us is that love risks almost certain grief. If we don't want to experience grief and loss in life, we should not risk the place of love. We should not risk sitting and weeping and naming the disappointments and the disillusionment that we have experienced because we have lost love. And I think that that's what Mary invites us to recognize as she weeps and grieves the loss of Christ, or at least Christ as she knew him. And the fact that that means that she sticks around even after Peter and John have already rushed back off into the next scene. And in this story, we see that Mary encounters these two angels, one at the head and one at the foot of uh, the burial place of Christ. I wonder sometimes if Peter and John had slowed down enough to really take it all in if they would have been prepared for this kind of miraculous vision. 
And of course, for first century Jews reading this story to, to see an angel, one at the head and one at the foot of where Jesus's body had laid, they're automatically thinking of the symbol of the Ark of the Covenant, which in the Old Testament was um, the sacred box that held the Ten Commandments, the best thing that God had to say at the time. And it was this golden box that the Israelites would carry from place to place. They put it in the Holy of Holies, and there was these two cherubim with their wings kind of outstretched over the box itself. And in between these two angels, it was called the mercy seat. And this is where the glory of God would kind of hover as this reminder that God was with the Israelites. And so it's this powerful image that is laying claim to Jesus being the glory of God, Jesus being the, the one who sits on the mercy seat. And so Mary has this radical encounter um, with this symbol um, of, of, of the angels representing uh, the glory of God present in Jesus Christ. And she turns around and then she encounters the risen Christ. And she doesn't recognize him at first because he's in his resurrection body, which to us, of course, is a great mystery that we may never really understand until our own bodily resurrection. But she thinks that Jesus is the gardener. And this is kind of a, a cosmic joke. Because in the most profound sense, Jesus actually is the gardener. He is the new Adam who is called to steward creation. But unlike the old creation that's subject to chaos and decay, this new creation, this new life uh, requires a cultivation by the risen Jesus. So in this story, we're seeing a smashing together of all of these symbols and images from the entire biblical narrative right from the beginning with Adam in Genesis through Moses and in the Torah, you know, on to this particular moment where the resurrection Jesus kind of gathers up all these cosmic symbols into one burst of, of mystery that we're being invited into. And I find the, the words that Jesus speaks to Mary at the end of this passage, so curious. I'll read them again to you. Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. This seems like a very strange thing to say. You know, Mary has just received back her beloved and you can imagine that she doesn't want to let go because the grief of that loss was almost too much to bear. But I think what Jesus is saying to her here is, the way in which you knew me, um, it's not going to be like that anymore. Um, it's going to be bigger and far greater. And I think sometimes the way in which we hold on to our understanding of Jesus, if we don't allow Jesus to, to give us a bigger and more majestic vision of who he is can actually impede our spiritual growth. And so when Jesus is saying, don't hold on to me because I still have to go to the place of the Father, he's saying that to all of us too. Because now we know Jesus through his work of reconciliation, renewal, and resurrection. Because Mary's image of Jesus, although it was tremendously beloved, was not complete. She loved Jesus before the crucifixion, but she needed to encounter the resurrected one. 
And so as new creation people, we are always open to a more beautiful revelation of King Jesus than the one that we had before. Mary teaches us that love grows with time and attention. And sometimes love has to grow through loss and disillusionment. And I heard someone say recently, disillusionment is a powerful thing because what it means is to be robbed of our illusions. And although it hurts like hell, is that not something that we desperately need? We need to let go of our illusions of what we thought was true so that we can take up something bigger and more beautiful. I think Mary's challenge to all of us is to reveal a patience like her that in many ways, I think the message is this, that our hearts are the first to show up at the empty tomb and our hearts are the last to leave. And if we can show that kind of honesty and transparency, then perhaps Jesus will appear to us in a new form. When I think about the story of so many of these disciples, I think they speak to so many facets of what it means for us to continue to practice this this cycle of life, death, and resurrection, or orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. We see Judas, who sold Jesus out for pocket change, overcome with grief and regret to the point where he takes his own life. We see Peter, who's so desperate to impress Jesus and to do the right things and to say the right things, who completely runs away when the going gets tough, only to be welcomed back to Jesus through forgiveness. We see John, um, the contemplative one, gazing upon Christ on the cross and wondering what it all means, but he still has to step over uh, the mantle of the empty tomb. He has to enter into the place of mystery. And we see Mary, who is bold and brave enough to be the first one there to shed tears of grief, but then through those tears to see the angelic symbol realized of who Jesus is as the resurrected one. I think time, if we would just give ourselves enough time, time and patience would lead us to faithful action. Time and patience would lead us to a renewal of our minds. And time and patience would lead us to an enlarged capacity to love. And so perhaps the thing that cries out for renewal and resurrection most to you is your image of Jesus. Are you feeling that grief and that loss of the Jesus that you used to know? Are you feeling like you've been sold short or that there wasn't enough there to sustain your faith? Perhaps you've walked away disillusioned and discouraged, that you feel like you've been shortchanged. And perhaps that temptation is there just to go and to find other better places uh, to put your identity and trust. But maybe this Easter season, what most bears resurrection is your impression of Jesus himself. Can you show that time, that patience, that care and attention that might open you up to an even more beautiful revelation of King Jesus than the one that you have before? Where have you witnessed resurrection and renewal as you follow King Jesus into new creation in heart, mind, 
and body. I believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus, and I take this by faith. But I also believe in it because I have witnessed it. I've seen it in my own life, and I've witnessed it in yours. As I sit with you, as I listen to your stories, as I share your grief, your loss, your disillusionment, your deconstruction of the things that you once held dear but no longer seem to serve you because they don't lead you into a deeper revelation of Jesus, I have seen in those places, those dark places, the Spirit of Jesus come alongside of you and breathe new life into your image of him that has turned curses into blessings, that has brought you from death into life, and it's taken you from slavery to sin into freedom of new creation. You are a living icon in the middle of the old world. You are a sign of what is to come for all of us in the renewal of all things. So this coming Sunday, we're going to invite people to share stories of where they are witnessing resurrection and renewal in their lives. And if you're listening to this before that Sunday, April 24th, I would encourage you to come and to join us and perhaps consider sharing when, when we open up a space for people to come forward. But at the least, take time in this Easter tide, in this Easter season, to really sit with the story, not just to believe that it is something that happened once, ago, once upon a time, but that it is something that continues to happen today, because that's what resurrection actually means. So may the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness. May he protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home once again through our doors. Amen. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.